good, good, good. Morning, family. How are we? Doing well? What a glorious day yesterday. Well, this is interesting because the fingerprints of God that we've been talking about are encapsulated for today's story in the heading. The God in action when our lives hurt. How does he behave? What does he do when our lives are suddenly thrown into turmoil and all we face is dreadful stuff? Elijah experiences that. And I want to say too at the beginning, my own opinion is that Elijah is going through mental torment as a result of what's happened previously. And he's deep in depression, deep in depression. And I want to say that whilst many of us have been through depression and are still in depression, and I would count myself very much as a part of that, the fact is that the God who dealt with Elijah in depression will be dealing with us in our depression, which is different. Our depression does not necessarily come out of slaughtering 850 people. Our depression comes out of something else. But he is the one who is reliable. He is the one who is always there. Let's just explore this a little bit now. The God who cares this time. Let's review so far uh, God's fingerprints. What have they been revealed to be? Now, I know that there are a lot more there than I've been able to identify and I have no desire to go and find 25, but they're all there. But these are the major ones. The command for obedience, Elijah soon discerns that it's not about him having a conversation with God of equality, it's a conversation of obedience. When God speaks, you do. Second fingerprint is that he often takes people into the Desert Bible Institute where he teaches them the things that they need to know particular to their particular task. Desert Bible Institute is very frequently the experience of us all and we all wonder why we need to go into the desert. He says to us sometimes, I need you to be set, set apart enough to be able to hear me and listen to me and just to be a part of me for a while. Third fingerprint is to keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing is the focus on Jesus. For us who are Christians, the focus on Jesus. Never let it slip. Third fingerprint. Fourth fingerprint. Not working. Ah, the battle belongs to the Lord. It's never we who eventually win the battle. When it's all said and done, it's God who does through us the things that need to be done. So let's not kid ourselves that we're heroes. We're all of us human beings with all of the, all of the stuff that human beings have to battle with, all of the ideas that are tarnished, all of the willfulness that comes out of our humanity. Number five, God's action in our lives recasts our sense of insight to see things from the perspective of God's purposes. The temptation is always for us to be lined up with the circumstances themselves, to be captivated by the circumstances and in focus on the circumstances, lose sight of who God is and what he is doing. God's fifth fingerprint is that we need to let him recast 
in us the view that we have of life. Sixth, it's a certainty that life will resort in life that we will resort sooner or later to know who to who we know God to be. And if we've been operating at this depth with God, that's where we'll go. If we've been operating at this depth with God, that's where we'll go. So we owe it to ourselves, in a sense, to build a relationship with God that enables us to see the truth and the reality of life. The surrounding circumstances are not the focus. God keeps our focus on himself. But sometimes we let it slip and the focus goes elsewhere and then, frankly, we live in torment for a while until we get it back again. Well, the great confrontation in Kings 19, 36 to 46, of course, is the, is the time of Elijah's victory over the prophets and priests of Baal, where he takes them on, and uh, you, you know the story. Um, at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and you have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. O Lord, our God, and you are turning their heads, their hearts back. The Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones and the soil and licked the water in the trench. When all the people... The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah demanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. And Elijah said to Ahab, go and eat, for there is a sound of heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Lord, please let it rain. What kind of a man do we see standing in the warfare spot? We see a man who is strong. We see a man who is resolute. He knows exactly what he needs to do under the power and the authority of the living God and nothing is going to focus him away from his purposes. We see a man who is spiritually powerful. He's able to speak to the living God and the living God is able to respond to him and answer him and do the things that he requests. He is secure. He knows exactly who he is. There is nothing to threaten his personality or his character. This has been built over three years and he knows exactly who he is. He is strong. He's standing alone against all odds. He's certain of his call as a prophet of the living God. He's powerful in prayer. Waits for God's certain commands. Doesn't he? What's happened? Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah say, to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went on a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree to sleep. What's happened? What's happened in this whole process of God training up his disciple for three years 
setting him up for the very task that he has to do. A giant of a man, we discovered. On the face of it, it's a letter from a very sleazy lady, but just a letter. It's not the letter alone, though, is it? It's not Jezebel either. I want to say to you, the letter taps into his mental state. And he slips into viewing the circumstance rather than keeping his view on God because his mind just can't do it anymore. Oh, can you read that? Can you read it out to me? I can't read it from here. Okay, let's go on. Emotionally, what's happened? What's happened? Well, I want to say to you that... uh, uh, oh, that first one, have you ever talked to a Vietnamese, Vietnamese vet about what it was like to come home after being at war? And they will talk to you very, very clearly about the problem of PTSD. Now, I reckon Elijah, who has taken a sword and has personally slaughtered, not 850 because the rest of the Israelites helped him with that, but I reckon after slaughtering people listening to the screams and watching the blood and seeing the banging of heads and all of the stuff that was happening in relation to it all, I reckon PTSD would absolutely rage itself through him. Emotionally ravaged, psychologically distraught. There's an antidote, but it takes time. Time for healing. And our Vietnamese vets will say to you that it never, never, ever heals. Post-traumatic stress never leaves you. Deep doubts about his completed task. Did he really know who Yahweh was? Was he really doing the right thing? Was he in the right place? Oh, what have I done? It's fine to work on God's things, but to let God work through us on our things? No, I can do it. I don't need God this time. The antidote? A humility that helps us to recognise who God is. Elijah has been confronted with the enormity of killing 850 people. The antidote, the perspective. Who told you to do that? Was that your choice? Did you perpetrate that? Or were you responding in obedience to the master? Get your focus back again on where it is. It's a dreadful thing to do. Appalling thing to do. Spiritual exhaustion. Absolutely, absolutely rock bottom spiritual regeneration time with God, silent retreat these things don't happen overnight, they certainly don't happen the next morning after what you've done yesterday spiritual warfare it's not been with uh, the prophets of Baal, he's been fighting actually is it he's been their satanic boss and he's been standing as God's alone person as God fights was Satan. Elijah's solution into the desert. Let's get out of here. I can't cope with the pressure anymore. PTSD is raging my mind. I'm I'm uh, absolutely a slave to. Let's have a look at one Kings nineteen. Oh, I've had enough. The Lord. He said, take my life, I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and and said, get up and eat. 
He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he travelled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Elijah's desert parallels his desert of spirit. He's home. He walks 500 k's into the desert, 300 of those on his own. Who do you suppose provides this food over that period of time? That's kind of like from here, here to the South Australian border. He's consumed by overwhelming circumstance. He's deeply depressed, the product of emotional bankruptcy. He's, he's plunging into depths that you and I would rarely ever travel to. Why the desert? Why the desert? Well, that's where he'd come to know God. He's going back home, where I found God, where I knew God, where I discovered God. Let me go back there. Let me at least go back to where I can be. He heads home to, this is the same mountain, by the way. It's got two or three different names in the Old Testament. Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, the Mount of Yahweh. It's called by all three, and it's the same mountain. The 40 days that he spends in the desert has often been identified as a similarity to Jesus spending time in the desert to discover the power of the Holy Spirit, to build his relationship and his resonance with, with God the Father. The God who cares. The Lord appears to Elijah and uh, says these things. I'll never leave you or forsake you. The God who provides, especially in the terrors. Some of you will know exactly what I mean. He provides the way to answers, not necessarily the solution. You know what I mean by that? We have to work out our own answers. We have to, on the consistent basis of our relationship with God, search and find the answers that are appropriate to us. He does not step in and simply take over. He works with us all the time. And when we're in the bottom, when we're in the depths, when it's very, very, very hard to step out and get into, get into the, the, the relationship with God, he is always there. He companions us through the bad times. We don't know he's there quite often. Elijah still has a role. This is a significant thing because a little bit later, God says to him, what I want you to do is to go and find Elisha. Uh, ordain this bloke and ordain that bloke, but go and find Elisha, Elisha uh, and tell him he's going to be following you or you're going to be following him. You have a role of mentoring. You have a role of responsibility in relation to all that you've learned in the past. Now, what does that say to us? Does that say to us that mental health is failure? No, it doesn't. 
it says to us that mental health is like any other sickness that any of us go through and that we at the end of that mental health period have as much a responsibility to live our lives for God as anybody else. Elijah is given the responsibility to be a mentor. So are we. With all those young people out there, all the young people beginning to give leadership in this church, you have responsibilities to be mentors to them, you older folk. Build them up. Elijah joins the 7,000 who've experienced the cave and moved on. Let me read that part of the story. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here in the cave, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord or God Almighty. The Israelites have elected your covenant, rejected your covenant, broken your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. The Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went and stood out at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very jealous, very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram, also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel, and appoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Maholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. Now, I had a spare page in the middle of that. Because what I wanted to ask you to do was to fill that page in. What do you think God is doing? In, as you hear the story and as you read the things and as you listen to me carry on, what do you think God is doing? What is God doing for you in that circumstance? What would you write on that page? I mean, I wrote, I will never leave you or forsake you. Never, ever, under any circumstance. I will always be here. I will provide for you as you run through the desert. What are you writing down? Think about it for a moment. I'd like to give you a moment or two. What would you write down that God is saying to you through what we've just talked about?
You see, this prophet Elijah is real. This story is not just a yarn. It's the details of God's relationship with humanity that takes us through to the end. This is the reaction somebody else had to this reading. And I've put it in the newsletter this week. If you've got the newsletter in front of you, you might be able to follow it if it's on the computer at home. You might want to have a look at it later on. It's called Desert Maker. A heart withered by the hot wind of rejection. Restless feet pounding anger into the silent sands. A tongue venting fear and rage. Only the Desert Maker hears. He seeks relief from a wilderness he cannot escape. Beneath the tree as weathered as his own soul, he wages a war with unbelief. What more? How long? Where are you? I'm empty. Take the life you own. A breeze, a jar and dish. You're not yourself when hungry. Eat and drink. Time later for my question. Rest. I'll manage the world for a while. The wordsman recognised the voice in the desert and obeyed. Forty mornings later, a cave in a bluff invites him to share its blackness. Shattered pride, bruised ego, professional failure. His back turned on others' troubles. He climbs to nurse his own. Light gone, but not the voice. Why are you here? What do you want from the dark? To be left alone, uh, since I alone am left. Curses, rumours, threats. I'm tired of getting setting the table for those who will not eat. Hope gone, but not the voice. If you were me, what would you do? I'm hoping to suggestions, an earthquake to shake, a fire to scorch, a wind to tear. Wordsman felt foolish. An empty well is a bitter thing. Zeal gone, but not the voice. A quiet sound. I'm desert maker. All mine meet me here, though the way is perilous. The deserts of men's own making kill them, mine cure. In the darkest corners of the cave lay dingy sacks left by others, untied, empty, bundles of dust, discarded, forgiven. Wordsman understood the purpose of the desert and of fingers. It took a while to untie the knot but then there were 7,001. God invites us into himself. God invites us into himself. And when the road is rough, he is the God who cares. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we scarcely can come to grips with who you are. The stories of your relationship with other human beings help us to perceive our own. The stories of your treating, treatment and your great, greatness, uh, your power, your authority is expressed in lives of simple human beings like Elijah 
Give us hope. We thank you that you are in the business of forming your kingdom people. We thank you that you know not just the heights and the excitement and the joy, but you know the depths of despair. You know about the depths of terror. You know about the depths, the depths of pain and hurt. And you join us there and we are never alone. Lord, we have 10,000 reasons and more to praise you, to thank you, to live our lives in you. And at the end of time to come to you and say, Lord, I'm here. And hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. Would you stand?